So we have two pretty big names coming. We're going to fill it out with two, bit, uh, two more big names recording that, uh, I think, three weeks into January. So that should be really cool. Well, you we have- alone should count for two big names. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Michael Lockie, and I'm joined today by my usual co-host, Brent Philbin. What is going on? And Kareem Baruke. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening. All right, guys. This is Friday Flagship 52. This means we have completed the cycle. We have gone a full calendar year of flagships. It is Friday, December the 28th, 2018. I'm excited to be here, guys. I know uh, we just had Christmas here in America. You guys hopefully having some good holidays. I feel <laughs> like I haven't spoken to you guys much lately, but you know that's kind of what December's usually are. So uh, I, yeah, we didn't even do an episode. Pretty this week. sure it was Christmas all over the world. Like I don't think I don't think people in uh, I think it was whoever celebrated Christmas celebrated it at the same time. <laughs> Kareem, yeah, there's well, different time zones, bro. Like, oh yeah, true, true, don't true, true, be true. ridiculous. You know, there's a difference. <laughs> Not all Christmases are the same. No, that's certainly true. So I, I have, a, I'll have a Christmas anecdote with JJ. When when Kareem and I were just in Thailand, my girlfriend is Thai, and she had told me like they they never celebrated Christmas, and Christmas wasn't a thing. And I'm like, mm. okay, we get to Thailand. And the malls are completely decked out in Christmas gear. There's Christmas lights everywhere. Christmas is massive. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I I tell her, I'm like, there's Christmas everywhere. She's like, I said it wasn't a big deal in the house. In the house. Outside the house, it's crazy. I'm like, oh, okay. So, yeah. So I asked her what she did on Christmas, and she said they always went out to eat. And uh, so, did they yeah. go get Chinese food and watch a movie? <laughs> yeah. Did, did they do what, uh, what, <laughs> what all the Jewish all the people do? do? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was the, uh, the all right, anyway, Christmas anecdote. All right. So, <laughs> let's just discuss some of the things that are coming up on the show. Um, we are making more progress on our panel discussions. Uh, Brent, what else we got coming up? Well, I don't know what we're going to release next week for sure because we haven't recorded it. But we, our first panel, we decided to make it with content creators, and so far I can I can say that we have two confirmations. We have Crypto Candor coming back on the show. She hasn't been on in a long time, and we also have Joel Com from the Bad Crypto Podcast going to be on that panel. So we have two pretty big names coming. We're going to fill it out with two bit uh, two more. Big names recording that, uh, I think, three weeks into January. So that should be really cool. Well, you alone should count for two big names. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because I'm super important in the crypto space. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because we are so important. You are a moderator. You are the host of this show. You deserve two of the spots, Brent. I'm just saying, when you're counting, I would... (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's brutal so brent uh the lana the nano ledger s is still 30 percent off for the holidays did you know that i did it is only going to be 30 percent off for the rest of december and i'm sure they'll run another promotion again in the future but for now this is what they've got if you look at that little banner it's even christmas themed merry christmas y'all all right guys let's get to the news let's do it brent Lead us off with some uh, interesting Bitcoin correlation talk. Okay, yeah, this is just, I was going kind of down my own rabbit hole last night, uh, and I was looking at the correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P 500, because it is at a pretty low point, meaning the, um, what I mean by this correlation is that the prices kind of move together. So we had always noticed that, like, even though Bitcoin and crypto was tanking, that the legacy markets were doing the same. Um, recently, though, it has uncoupled a bit, and they are not having the same correlation. Um, most people think out of just like left field that there's a negative correlation. They're like, oh, yeah, when stocks go up, Bitcoin's going to go down in the other way. It's not really the case. Well, I don't have stocks, and I put it in crypto, so that means everybody else is doing one or the other, right? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So yeah, they they had been mostly correlated, uh, especially this year. You know, like the S and P before a couple of days ago, there was actually a massive rally. I think like yesterday, 
Brett, what? I have a question. I, I want to yes, interrupt. Yes, the largest quick. in history for the Dow. Yeah. Wait, what what happened recently? Yesterday was the largest single day increase or rally for the Dow. That's not the largest for the market as a whole because right Dow after Jones the crisis. Industrial average is 30 companies or is it more? Yeah, 30. 30. Um, okay, so is there information on the trading values of Bitcoin versus the S&P 500? Is that what they mean by the correlation? Is it just like the price of X versus the price of Y in comparison? Yeah, like yeah, it, as as the market goes up, does Bitcoin go up with it or does it go down? A correlation of one would be that they are exactly the same at all times. And a correlation of negative one would be that they are exactly opposite at all times. Okay. Uh, so a negative correlation would mean that they're going in opposite directions. A positive go- correlation would mean they're going in a similar direction. Uh, the correlation right now has been extremely low. Last I checked, before that big rally that happened the other day or the other night was point zero one zero eight. So it's l- almost a one percent positive, which is very close to a negative. The last time it was a negative was uh, back in two thousand sixteen for a negative correlation. That was during a bull run, big bull run for the S and P. Um, there's analysts that are going to be better at figuring what's going on with this than I am. I just thought it was interesting because we've always thought that at some point in the future, people will be fed up and there will be some sort of a big negative correlation. And I think this is the only real like close to zero correlation that had to do with an S&P bull market because before that big rally, everything was at a 52-week low. So you know, crypto crypto was bad. The stocks were bad. They were all kind of correlating, but then crypto started to go back up. So interesting to look at that. And I only stumbled on this because of another story that I was talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about CoinMetrics.io. They released a report. Um, I won't spoil that. We'll we'll talk about you know <laughs> Kareem's story here in a second. But I've got some shit to talk. Um, but they have some really cool charts, and you can check it out. You can see like the correlation of Litecoin to Bitcoin. You can see the correlation of Litecoin to the S and P. You can see the correlation of Bitcoin to the Dow, Nasdaq. They have a lot of really cool charts, so you can you can look at that, glean what you will. And I just thought it was something interesting to talk about. Yeah. So, and I think this is an important time as a reminder, just in general, that sometimes a lot, some of these numbers can be super useful, but just because we can get data or numbers doesn't mean that that data is always going to be useful you know and the problem here like you know even when oh yeah so for me i think this is uh just to interrupt you i wanted i wanted to say this i think this is more interesting to look back on rather than try to make a prediction with right 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 And, and and i know that that's how you're bringing it forward i'm just making sure for people that are listening you know even like we don't even know if there is a correlation or won't be and the fact that it's a zero point a point zero one that's almost like a flip like if something had a perfectly zero correlation on average, <laughs> it would sometimes be slightly positive and slightly negative. And people could flip over f- forward and backwards trying to say, oh, it's now inverse. No, it's literally teetering on the edge of if zero. It's, <laughs> if it's averaging at, at one, that seems so close to just being like. Yeah, it's it's pretty close to zero basically yeah. here. Yeah, which, yeah, no no, cor- no correlation. Yeah, so um, I, a negative correlation when Bitcoin and other cryptos are in a bull market and legacy is in a bear market will be an interesting thing to look at. It's not going to be like a signal for anything. It's just going to be interesting for sentiment. Like you have to be thinking the reason that is happening is people are choosing to put their investments in Bitcoin or they're choosing to sell their legacy investments and transfer that to Bitcoin. I'm actually I'm actually going to slightly disagree with one thing you just mentioned there. I, I'm actually going to go ahead and say, like, I don't want this to be interesting. I don't want to be able to look back and decide, like, ooh, this was interesting information to look at because it's going to be determined in such a random order that I don't think there's going to be enough relevant facts to look back on to actually get good information out of to use going forward. Uh, something else I'd like to add here is, Again, we're assuming that there has to be a relationship. These could be not correlated for mainly the reason. Let's say, for example, that we just, if we did a demographic breakdown, we figure out that most of crypto is held by ICOs, some developers, and then the majority is just like regular income people. And then we do a breakdown on stocks and we see that it's a different distribution, mostly maybe corporations or institutions or head funds. And each one of those actors is going to act in a particular way. So maybe the actors in these markets are 
just mostly different than the makeup of actors in the other market. So, you know, it's not like, oh, it's because these people are moving assets from this market to that market. Like, I feel just because we're discussing these two in tandem doesn't mean that they have that type of relationship. Well, keep your eye on it. We'll see. All right, Kareem. I want to get your take. I actually saw this um, story recently and didn't get a chance to check it out. So I'm glad you were able to cover it. But there are congressmen that are attempting to pass a bill to exempt crypto from securities laws. And the the actual states involved in this were really interesting to me, too. So what did you get here? Yeah. So there are representatives from Ohio and Florida. And one of the cool things about this is that it's actually a bipartisan bill. So it's sponsored by two politicians, Warren Davidson. He's a Republican from Ohio. And Darren Soto, who is a Democrat from Florida. And they call it the Token Taxonomy Act. I just, I'm glad I just that wanna- was token. I want to ask you something about like, okay, so is it a big deal that this is a bipartisan bill? Yes. Yes, it is. The way you addressed that, it made it sound like that was more relevant than I would have thought originally. But now that I'm hearing you, that seems like a really important feature here. Well, it's a really important feature when you want to when you want to talk about having a chance to pass the bill. Right. (laughs) You want to get anything done? Yeah. Well, and especially as you're trying to get more support, because the problem is that now politics are so polarized that there are certain issues that it actually is difficult for the lawmakers themselves to work with the other side on because their base would consider it a betrayal, right? So even if you're a Republican that has, it's like, oh, we need to do something about climate change or, if, you know, you're a Democrat and it's something that's going to piss off your base. It, the fact that there's already a Republican and a Democrat that sponsor it let you know that this is not the type of thing where you're like falling on the sword. So it's easier to move forward. Uh, but whether or not they're going to be able to get support, that's a different story, right? But at least it's a, a sign of uh, it's a strong better start. faith. Absolutely, right? it's a strong start. It means that they can go to either party to get more and more votes, you know. Um, so anyway, the goal here is to get cryptocurrencies to be exempt from being classified as securities. And this story is going to take us down a little bit of a rabbit hole, boys. I hope you guys are ready. Whoa! Rabbit, <laughs> rabbit, rabbit. I, I like cream rabbit holes. I got to tell you a story about a little old company in Florida and the Supreme Court of the United States. But anyway. I like all of Kareem's holes. <laughs> so um, the framework that rules over uh, securities tokens, the security assets or securities is um, the Security Act of 1933. But what we've actually been using to determine whether something is a security was a test that got implemented by the Supreme Court in 1946, and it's called the Howey test, right? So here's what the Howey test comes down to. After the Securities and Exchange Act was passed, there was eventually a company in Florida who was a basically a farm citrus developer. It was a farmland, and they had citrus. So they ended up uh, leasing half of the property to raise money in order to do further development. So the bottom, basically the SEC started saying, okay, they're buying in for securities and this eventually went to the Supreme Court. So ultimately- Wait, wait, wait. So they were leasing the land for like portions of their company? Well, that's the thing. It wasn't so clearly put out there, but they were essentially saying, hey, listen, we're going to lease the land. You guys buy buy in, you know, whatever portions and then there'll be future profit. But of course, for the citrus farm, they're saying like, hey, this is a private transaction. I'm not, you know, we're not, it's not a security. That's basically what they're saying. This is not a stock or anything like that. And the SEC is saying, we're not so sure that it's not. So this court makes it to the Supreme Court as SEC versus W.J. Howey. And this is where the Supreme Court basically invents the test that gets known as the Howey test. And it says, the transactions in this case clearly involve investment contracts as so defined. The respondent companies are offering something more than fee simple interest in land. They are offering an opportunity to contribute money and to share in the profits of a large citrus fruit enterprise. But this is the most important part. It was investors who they themselves had none of the knowledge, skill, or equipment necessary to care for the cultivation of citrus trees. So the conclusion of the court was basically, if... The value of a transaction is for somebody else's work. If you're putting in money that you expect to profit from somebody else's work, then that is a security. All right. All right. So so that is basically what all security laws are 
put under right now, basically as a default. And it makes you think about if you are looking at a project like Cardano, this kind of fits that a lot. If you're buying ADA right now, it's because you're hoping that the development work that IOHK does on Cardano creates a platform which is going to give you more profits. But can you say the same thing about Bitcoin? When you buy Bitcoin hoping that it appreciates, is it because you're dependent on other people's works? Or is it because since it's an entire network that you're participating in, is that different? Or is, is Bitcoin more like magic cards where, you know, they're out there and it was created by a company, but that doesn't mean you're dependent on that company for it to grow in value. Magic cards aren't securities. So this actually makes it really complicated. And it is good that these congressmen are coming forward. And this is the quote from Representative Davidson. He says, um, to put it simply, Sorry, in the early days of the internet, Congress passed legislation that provided uh, certainty and resisted the temptation to overregulate the market. Our intent is to achieve a similar win for America's economy and the American leadership in this innovative space. And basically, they're saying we can't apply the Howey test to these networks is, or securities laws. They just don't apply. So let's say that they're exempt and we'll create something new from scratch that fits to these so ah there's such like if this gets passed then all of a sudden like every company is being like ah we're not a stock we're a crypto <laughs> hey <laughs> for every stock you had in our company you get one share of apple <laughs> coin right <laughs> Well, and this is where even if something like this got passed, which I don't know that it's a favorite, but chances are that we would still end up with a division like what we saw in the UK, what we saw in Switzerland, where they're starting to say, okay, these are security tokens, these are exchange tokens, these are commodity tokens, these are different types of things. That's the only way to do it because obviously nothing's going to be able to blanket the space properly. Right, right, exactly. There, Some operate exactly like stocks, uh, some operate nothing like them. So something like Nano or Bitcoin have literally no similarity to to stocks, but Neo does. Right. So yep, I, it, it can only be it can only be good to get regulatory clarity. So even if this gets shit on, like I hope it gets shit on in such a way that there is more clarity because we are losing this race in in the United States, and I still live here. So until I don't, I would prefer that we get better at it and have reasons for people to come build here because I still see it as the future and the and I would you know I would like it to be the future in the US just for logistics reasons. But hey, if I got to move to Thailand, I'm in. You know, what I what I find interesting about this is that I feel like the one thing that we need for internal mass adoption that that gets the government's acceptance is like creating those loopholes for companies to take advantage of it, right? You have to create the incentive structure in a way that makes Bitcoin and crypto useful to the masses. Honestly, what better way to get the legacy world involved than to say, well, here's a little shortcut for you that might help. Maybe this is a really sneaky way of of just like – Letting these people feel like they get a win. I don't know. That's a really good way to get it shut down. Like the first time some fucking company is able to take advantage of this and be like, oh, look, I didn't have to pay taxes. I don't know how that happened. Whoops. And yeah, we're they either have to be Amazon where we're like, no, Amazon, that's fine. Let me suck you off a little bit more. Right. In <laughs> fact, let me give you some extra money just for the privilege of you being here. You don't have to pay us. We'll pay you. Uh, unless it's Amazon, then they're going to be mad. You're yeah. bringing 10 50k jobs, we'll give you 10 million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you got some Bitcoin news? Yeah, we came we came across this, you shot it over to me and it actually the reason I liked it is because it creates a question, so I'm going to pose a question to the audience with it. Um so the tweet said that the Lightning network just hit 500 Bitcoin in network capacity. The network keeps growing at a staggering pace. Start running your own node and open channels while the chain fees are low before the next bull market. Enjoy private Bitcoin transactions settled instantly. So I guess is it intuitive to you guys off the top of your head? The Lightning Network nodes, opening them now is beneficial or I guess is what is the timing of the of it all matter? I don't know why opening them now would be beneficial versus opening them then. I, I guess maybe if it's you clickbait, have, that's fine. But if it's not clickbait, I, I, this is something I want to know more about. Maybe the well, opening fee, and then maybe just keep it open, and so then when the fees go up, your channel's already open. I think it might just be like um, maybe the earlier networks are more likely to get like 
routed through or something. I have no idea why that would be a, a thing. We did a whole episode on Lightning Network, and I don't know why. Uh, Mike, I feel like you left out a couple important parts. Right after the network keeps growing at a staggering pace, there was a rocket ship emoji and a chart going up emoji. Those are this very is correct. I can confirm that those are the bull market charts and the the bull rocket ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those were important. There was also a lightning symbol at the end, just really driving home the point of the lightning network here. So um, <laughs> this is good journalism. I can't lie. No, I don't actually know why it, opening it now would matter. I mean, I think they might just be hoping people open now or maybe. Right. If, if the intention is to just trick me into opening one now, that's fine. I'm OK with that. But if there's actually more of this, I I, I hope somebody listening would know and they can actually come into like the Discord. Like those stores that have had a going out of business sale for the last right. five years. Oh, yeah. Every mattress store. Yeah. I every mattress store is I'm like, oh, you guys are going, going out, out of business, business huh? They're going out of business for a while. <laughs> business is yeah. good well, when you go out of business. From the moment you put up a business, it's just dying, right? It's just it's it's life is just yeah. dying. And we're every, just going everything's the dying, yeah, right? Everything. Exactly. Yeah. Everything wow. that is born just dies. Wow! Oh wow! Dro- Mike dropping truth bombs on everybody right here. <laughs> if you're alive, guess what? You gonna be dead. And speaking of truth bombs, Brent, we are moving on to your favorite little, cryptocurrency. Project. A little investigation. Now, I think. I think the character that Brent represents in the crypto space is fully evolved from the situation with Bitcoin private and how that played out on air with us. So, Brent, what's going on with Bitcoin private, your namesake, your favorite coin, the one that you were willing to put your foot down and Contest say this is on it. the line. We're starting late, changing the rules. Crypto, uh. sh- crypto. Chef Philbin, the crypto chef. <laughs> so fuck Bitcoin private. We're going to start off with that. That was the title of my portion of this of this uh, section of the outline. So look, Bitcoin private, for those who are newish listeners, you might not remember or be a part of. But we had this little contest and I did not do my research. I decided I liked Z Classic, but they were in the middle of a fork. And I was like, oh, no problem. I'll just pick the no coin problem. that they fork into. And uh, and that it won't be an issue. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Easy. Well, uh, they forked into this shitcoin called Bitcoin Private. And I did not do my research at the time. If you listen to our 101 on Bitcoin Private, because we did a 101 on basically all the coins that we picked, you'll hear all of the problems that that coin had at, uh, at and reasons that I didn't like it. It was controlled by like five people or something like that. It was... The antithesis of everything that Zcash or therefore Z Classic should have stood for, and I hated it. Well, they are back in the news. <laughs> they, the, what they have do- Coin Metrics, the the site that I talked about a little bit earlier when we were talking about the cor- correlations, they released a report that Bitcoin Private had a secret two million Bitcoin Private coin pre mine. They they managed to to get. Two million extra of their coins, not two million dollars worth because their coin has been different prices over <laughs> different time periods, but they have gotten two million extra of them. Now, I don't know who they is because there's like some question as to who it is because they're private. So like they're in, you're not really able to figure out who this is. So it and also the specifics were a bit technical, so I'm kind of trusting the coin metrics breakdown here. They have a paper which we linked in the show notes that explains it if you're one of the, uh, the more technical people. But basically, they were using the the UTXOs, which are like the kind of the the whole pieces of coins that have to be transferred. And during the fork, when they were importing those, somehow 400 special blocks were created that created 50 Bitcoin private each and all went to the same wallet. So uh, it was a little harder to see right off the bat because Bitcoin private is using ZK snarks. And when we talk about ZK snarks, we always say that one of the things you have to worry about is the trusted setup. And that is because you can't easily audit the supply. On Monero, you know how many Monero there are in existence at any given time. So um, I watched a I watched a talk from one of the Monero uh, developers. He goes by Sarang online and he uh, he was explaining that he thinks Zcash does privacy correctly, but you need to be able to trust that trusted setup because of the um, you need to be able to audit the supply. So they had to go do some real investigative research. Kind of hilarious that CoinMetrics did this and not Bitcoin Private, but the but CoinMetrics did it. So they found out that 
through this research that the $2 million was there. So the supply was supposed to be $21 million, just like Bitcoin. Now the supply is $23 million, but only 15% of the original supply was ever claimed in the fork. So that means most of the coins just sat there and did nothing. So really, damn near 40% of the active supply is controlled by this fucking secret pre-mine that they created. And those are permanently dormant, Brent, the ones that were never claimed? Uh, I don't know if they ended up I don't know if they ended up nerfing those or not or if they're just sitting there and they in theory you could go get them. I think in theory you could go get them because there's um you know we've talked about those different ways that you could possibly be uh looking at the supply of total coins out there and when they move is one of the ways you want to add them in. So yeah, my guess is 21 million is still technically the uh supply well 23 now, but most of them have been broken. I don't think they Got rid of the coins. So there were a couple of other expl- – so they went through an entire list of explanations that could have been part of this and why the irregularities they were seeing may may have been there. One of the explanations was that that wallet wasn't using the right chain, but it was. Uh, they could have – there could have been a bug in this um, function called get TX outset info, but there was no bug. Uh, there could have been a change in the mining reward, but there was no change in the mining reward. ZK snarks could have been broken, um, like as in they could have figured out a way to attack vector ZK snarks in general. But their uh, assumption is that if somebody had figured out how to attack ZK snarks, they would have attacked Zcash because it would have had a much greater reward than attacking the Bitcoin private network. Pause, so pause. If somebody found that in the last few months, they are sitting on it, in my opinion. Maybe. Yeah. So um, so they also <laughs> thought that it couldn't be broken, that it was just something they needed to mention. So uh, they also very specifically attribute malice to this because the team is was specifically putting out there that there were only 21 million coins, that there was no pre-mine, et cetera, et cetera. So they they aren't certain that the team was the one creating the malice. But they know that it wasn't supposed to happen. So that there could have, in theory, been a bad actor or whatever. Um, and then finally, what, one of the things I liked about their paper is they disclosed their biases right at the end. They're like, look, we don't own any Bitcoin private. We have no long or short position on it. We don't care. We just found this and we think the community needs to know about it. So that was that was good because everybody's going to be like, no, they're paid fudgers trying to destroy our project. Which uh, if you pop into the Bitcoin private subreddit. Everybody is acting exactly like that. I have a lot of experience with that since we've been talking about substratum. The exact same community mentality here. Um, the solution from the Bitcoin private community, they're going to burn all coins and shielded addresses. Because these coins are sitting in a shielded address, these people that can control the code, the five of them, have decided, all right, well, anybody who's got shielded coins, we're going to destroy them. This is Bitcoin private. Literally the fucking reason... To use it over something else is because you can shield your coins. And they're just like, yeah, but if you did that, then we're going to just get rid of those. <laughs> they they estimate that 20,000 of the coins uh, will be legitimate that they get rid of, but the rest of the 1.7 million won't. Because 300,000 of these have already been moved and and put out there into the, uh, into the ecosystem. Um, the developers have bl- – they blamed it on one specific developer, but they wouldn't say his name. They said, oh, we just missed one line of code uh, and that there was another bad actor that wasn't necessarily this person. And that bad actor is the one that did the coin problem. And that's why they're going to burn it. So um, that is the Bitcoin private situation. Stay <laughs> Like, you know, even though the team likes to make fun of me for the Bitcoin private situation, there is a lesson to be learned here. Do your research, because if I had just looked at the surface of this coin – when I had decided to pick it for my portfolio, I would have ran for the hills. All I needed was base level research. I didn't even do that. So me, such a smart, funny, hilarious, great guy. Handsome. I didn't, you handsome? You, yes. I did not do my research. And then if I had, I wouldn't have chosen that for my portfolio. In a real life scenario, I would have immediately sold that coin because I would have thought, whoops, that was dumb. And, uh, and yeah, so that, just do your research. Look at this stuff. And there's a lot of shit out there. This is shit. So one of the things that we harp on pretty regularly is that 
the research process is difficult and it's not going to be easy and you're going to have to put in some work. And, and a lot of times that was the, the point that people like Brent and I would just kind of brush off and just be like, Oh, well, you know, people like these developers and they have this great idea and they're going to go do it their own way. And I like the way that they're planning on doing this. And you can get married to the idea of Bitcoin private. That's, that was the exact title of a coin that was needed, right? And a Bitcoin ZK Snarks combination, like it has a lot of elegance to it and, and has a lot of potential, but like which actors are actually trying to accomplish that vision. And just because that vision aligns with my vision doesn't mean that I need to blindly put my finances or my trust into it. And, and that's why it's, it, we, we beat each other up, but we do it because it's a lesson for everybody, right? And, you know, Kareem told us a story about how he has um, SafeX on an exchange still because, you know, 10X, it, it might have 10X. I mixed those two up. No, but it was SafeX, the one that I hated. Oh, I Eventually, thought it was 10X. I okay. <laughs> yeah, I've actually always mixed those two up. But anywho, like you have a story about having some money let, you leave on an exchange as a reminder. It's like it's a scar that – Hey, I made a mistake. I need to be more careful. And, and we create those things in our life. And, and sometimes those things are meant to be positive, end up being negative, a la Kareem, um, putting his ADA sticker on his coffee maker as is meant to be, you know, Hey, I saved all this money. I bought the cheaper coffee maker and I bought this Cardano instead. And, and right now that's not looking like the best decision, <laughs> but, but, you know, we're not in it for this short term. We understand. That seasons are going to come and go and things are going to happen in this market. And like, we just want to keep making the most correct decisions that we can. Mm-hmm. Right now, Kareem is paying 10 cents for, uh, for shittier coffee. <laughs> going to pay 10 cents for better coffee. Um, now the, the, I was reading a quote the other day and I wish I knew who this was from, but it, it is completely accurate. The, as long as you, it was, it, I think it was a Houston Astros person. As long as you continue to make the, the best decisions and you're confident in your decision-making process, the results can continue to be shitty. But as long as you uh, evaluate the process and you don't evaluate the results and continue to evaluate the process, even if you're getting good results, then in theory, you should be making good decisions and end up making uh, a better life and better game and better uh, money in the long run. So uh, Bitcoin Private was a was a bad decision for all the people that donated to it. It was a bad decision for me in that portfolio contest. And it's a bad decision for anybody who's decided to stick with the community now. So, you know, the, you can do it if you want to. I'm not telling you to get rid of them because we don't give financial advice. I'm just telling you, it sounds like they're a piece of shit. <laughs> and it's interesting to sound like a piece of shit. You, normally, you would smell that way. So if they're actually penetrating the barriers of senses with piece of shittiness, that is very impressive. This is the sixth sense. All right. Enough of Bitcoin private. I, let's go back to other shit coins. <laughs> so, Mike, I heard the, uh, the CFTC release some stuff that we need to hear about. Oh, man. You guys, you guys crack me up. So nobody likes actually, to transition to Mike. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> Anyways, so this isn't going to be very long. This is more of a philosophical question because they are considering putting Ethereum on the um, the futures trading's commission, so you can trade futures prices for Ethereum. Now, I don't know a ton about how these markets work, but some of the descriptions for you know their thought process left me kind of scratching my head a tiny bit. So I'm kind of curious your guys' thoughts on um, – so it went into kind of one of the potential positives for potentially viewing this. And they said it would give the CFTC a rare insight into what crypto is all about. Basically, it was saying, well, if they adopt this, then they're going to probably give it a serious look and basically give it more consideration. To me, hopefully that was already in place. And then the next thing it added was it will allow the CFTC to monitor activity and prosecute illegal activities with a high, with a far higher level of effectiveness. And I mean, like, sure, I guess, like, if, if you want to add a, a, an entity like this, that's kind of like acting as the sheriff that's like, all right, let me make sure you guys aren't, you know, buying any drugs with this nonsense. 
I mean, I guess I see the value in that, but like the fact that that's like part of the consideration is like pretty laughable to me. Um, and it also said, and this part I actually liked, um, there is a lot of risk in the future of Ethereum because of the proof of work to proof of stake switch that is anticipated, whether we like it or not. We, and the article did go out of its way to say that Ethereum is going to rigorously test this and that the community is going to have a very large assistance in making it as, as painless as possible. But it would be naive to say that there's not going to be problems, right? Like there's, there's always problems somehow in some way. It's a matter of what scale the problems end up being. So I don't know. It was, it was like the article wanted to be positive and it wanted to be negative, but it couldn't make a decision. So <laughs> I, I guess I posed to you guys. Sounds like our podcast. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, we talked earlier about making these into whether or not they're securities. You know, what does the futures markets look like? Do you have any opinions on it? Well, they do that. They do them for Bitcoin already. And I, that's why I think that like some of this stuff is kind of weird. Like, why do we like they've already looked into Bitcoin. Are they going to really look that much deeper into Ethereum? They're just going to say it's another cryptocurrency. They're going to uh, the, a lot of the legacy people who have a lot of the highest positions in finance are going to go. That shit's dumb. It's not worth anything. Let's short it. And, um, you know, we we all had the uh, <laughs> we were all excited about maybe those people falling on their faces, but it didn't end up happening that way. They're going to notice that a coin like Ethereum that has an even lower uh, market cap than Bitcoin is also susceptible to market manipulation. And that is why they're so scared to put any of these in an ETF, because it's so easy to manipulate the market at the moment and whether some of this stuff is market manipulation or not is hard to figure out because it doesn't take much money to move this shit. So you want to, you want to move entire markets in like 10% in legacy finance is going to take you a lot of money unless it's like, you know, HMNY or something like that. But if you want to move these markets, then yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot easier. So they're going to see that that's what they mean by criminal activity. And that, uh, that's, what, <laughs> that, that's what they mean by criminal activity. They're really talking about market manipulation and they're talking about, uh, the, <laughs> <they're> <laughs> I felt like you were getting like ring, ringooed there. Like the, like the ring lady was just staring in the background like, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she should have covered her hair with her, her, her face with her hair. In the what? In the ring. You're just sitting in the background like staring. Are you recording? Yeah, we are. What's up? Oh. <laughs> She's like, you're not recording, are you? I'm like, yeah, we're in the middle of a show. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube YouTube audience might get to meet uh, Creep's girlfriend there. Oh, that, no, that one's going Patreon for sure. They're just yeah. going to be like a what? <laughs> All right, so where, where were we before we were so rudely interrupted by a demon? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be easier for them to catch market manipulation, I think, if they have more regulatory control over what is being done, I think. you know, it's it. But really, it makes sense for Ethereum to be a futures option with the, with Chicago's futures commission sooner than later, I think that's what the CFTC is, and uh, I, I imagine it's Chicago because CBOT is uh, commodities is commodities trading commission. Oh well, then it's not Chicago, but it probably is because that's where all that shit's done. Look, I, at the end of the day, number one, I think sometimes maybe we don't give these guys enough credit. I don't think that they're just going to dismiss it. Look, there's if there's millions of dollars to be made, rest assured that the people who are good at making millions of dollars are going to look into it. But at the end of the day, like, this is what's going to happen if these assets succeed. Like, people can have futures markets on gold, oil, whatever. So this is this is going to happen, you know. And, yeah, they're manipulable at first, but not forever. As the markets get bigger, they're going to be harder to manipulate. This is how you perfect the markets, right? I feel like adding futures actually will make them more, um, more accurate, more... Uh indicative of what the market truly believes maybe maybe what whatever the case is though it's like it's just gonna happen you know it's like saying right i don't mm. know it's it's like talking about drugs or gambling or what it, like this will be the more that this is an asset that people know about and can invest in <laughs> the more that um i the saw more that people are gonna there gamble. was awesome 
the more that people are going to gamble on this, you know, whether people like it or not. So it's just, uh, it's uh, whatever. It's a non, you know, this is going to happen. There's going to be futures markets on any cryptocurrencies that have long-term success. I saw Ramsey's like move the door open with his head and he stood there for a second like, did I do it? Did I do it? And he's like, ah, then he like ran in and it was, it was pretty cool. You'll see it in the video. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All right, guys, let's move to crypto from around the world. All right, Kareem. That's me. <laughs> I, I am interested to see where this is going. You're comparing crypto to a fiat currency. Uh, where is the lira from exactly? Turkey. Turkey. Okay. All right. So the Turkish fiat currency versus crypto. What's up? What is more volatile? That's how the article starts. I actually use the uh, the name of the article, but it goes. Sorry, what's more volatile, cryptocurrency or the lira? And it's a story about Turkey. So the article opens up with a description of a billboard that's sitting in a Turkish street. You know, it's very like, oh my god, in the sandy noobs or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it's all like describing it. But long story short. The article gets to the fact that there <clears throat> is a billboard displaying the Lira's market rates, and they are denominated in dollars, euros, pounds, and Bitcoin. So oh. the question is, why Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin's been tumbling. It didn't seem like it would be one of the things that's on there. But even though Bitcoin has been suffering since, you know, even before October, the trading volume for cryptocurrencies in Turkey has actually increased by 37% in that same time period. Oh. And it was brought about in part by a currency crisis, the lira crisis, where the population, much like in some other countries that we've seen, has seen their savings, their pensions, and their investments devalued. So the crisis doesn't start until August 10th. But just to give you an idea of where the mindset was at, in March, there was a survey conducted between March and April of this year. Uh, this was before the Lira crisis, and it found that 18% of Turks who were surveyed owned cryptocurrencies. As a reference point, Europeans were at 9% and Americans were at 8%. Damn. So that means that before the Lira crisis, double. Turk doubled the ownership rate of cryptocurrencies. So the crisis started on August 10th when uh, Trump tweeted out the aluminum and steel tariffs, which is a major export for Turkey, apparently. Of course, it started with a fucking Trump tweet. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, um, and the lira dropped 20% that day, but it had already been suffering a lot. And even though it eventually recovered slowly, it's still overall this year, the lira is down 30%. So think about that. All of your investments or pension funds or holdings down 30%. With inflation hitting a 15-year high. So by August 13th, this happened again on the 10th, by the 13th, the owner, the some anonymous source from Bitcoin.org said that they had seen a huge increase in traffic from Turkey. And they tweeted out, you know, this is how Bitcoin takes over the world through replacing fiat currencies as they fall apart. And then they interviewed... Go ahead, Mike. No, no, no. I just... I see this is like... We talk about Bitcoin allowing the little guy to have a say, right? But we forget, and maybe I forget more than Kareem, for example, but like, I'm not a little guy, right? I'm a, I'm a big guy. Kareem definitely doesn't forget that. But, but like, I have a lot of white privilege in my life and I went to a nice school and I have a decent, you know, job. And these are things like, this isn't just for me, man. This is like, this goes so much deeper. This is so, I, I was just Googling. The population of major, like, you know, countries and regions in here and like the US, China, these are major places, but, but they're still so small compared to everything else, right? And, you know, there's 1.2 billion people in Africa and that, you know, we talk about how Cardano is focusing on that. This is where Bitcoin starts. This is where Bitcoin just is going to start saving these people in these countries where their local currencies they're going we've talked about how many of these dictators just take their countries for a ride yeah we may still be a really long ways from relevant mass adoption in the u.s but i would say the crypto around the world section is half the reason i'm excited about the future right like being able to have an international glance and look into what the success is is and what it's doing for so many other people and that protection is just going to keep growing, right? And the security of that network, like, 
if Venezuela, Greece, Turkey, these are the countries that are the master nodes layers, right? The little guys. These, this is what's going to support the whole network. And that's why this feature is so interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, look, the bottom line is that the value starts surpassing pure speculation when these people are fleeing towards Bitcoin, not because they think, oh, Bitcoin's going to go up in price and I'm going to make a ton of money, but because they're thinking it's better for me. It's more stable economically to keep my value in Bitcoin because I know that it has enough support. That creates support in and of itself, of course, Mike. Um, and by the way, they interviewed one of our favorite people in this space. You guys remember Amin Goon Sirer, uh, the computer science guy oh, that yeah, was yeah. the one that called out the... Was this the 16-year-old kid that, that no, hacked no, no, the wall? No, 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 not the 16-year-old. No, no, no. This guy's like, he's one of the best um, computer science professors. Like, he was the one that told wrote a paper on the Ethereum uh, foundation hack before it was before it was able to happen. He uh, basically he's waved the flag a ton of times. He was one of the people that wrote about IOTA. Um, he's written about a lot of things and he's usually right. But what's interesting is he's Turkish American. So he was able to provide a little bit of unique insight as to why Turkey is so well prepared for cryptocurrency. And he said, number one, demographics. Turkey is relatively young compared to Europe and the US. Its population is on average younger and more willing to adapt new technology. And then this is a quote directly. So I know Brent's going to like this one. Quote, culturally, Turks are drawn to financial schemes with a high profit margin. (laughs) So I take that to say Turks like to gamble. And <laughs> Why was I I like that? I'm not going to confirm, but I'm definitely not going to deny. Culturally, <laughs> Turks are drawn to financial schemes with a high profit margin. We all know what that means. It means gamble, gamble. You guys both play poker and you know that Mediterranean guys and Chinese guys like to gamble. That's like a, like a fact of life. I feel like everywhere else likes to gamble but America. I feel like this is like a weird place where it's a lot more shameful. Yeah, but when you think of like Germans or Scandinavians. Scandinavians are known for being absolute maniacs. Mm. I feel like South Americans are really wild as well in general. (laughs) You know what's funny? We're like, (laughs) we're a perfect example of like an environment determining your perception because we're like, we're playing at a casino and we're like, what do you mean? Everybody loves to gamble. (laughs) Everybody I play with in the casino loves gambling. (laughs) Kareem, I know a lot of of gambler's from every single country. I don't understand (laughs) what you're talking about. You know what? They all like poker too. Funny (laughs) thing. (laughs) They're very Uh, interested in high profit margin schemes. (laughs) uh, So anyway, to wrap this up, not all is good news. Obviously, Edragon right now, even though they haven't banned cryptocurrencies or anything like that, they've been pushing to get citizens to convert their dollars into lira to help support it. But, you know, this as the situation gets more dire, we could see them be more aggressive in their methods. Um, also, the religious leader of Turkey Ooh. has told Muslims crypto is a no-no. So we're getting a little bit of resistance there. God spoke to me and he said... You should not be trading cryptocurrencies. That reminds me of those fucking guys who had the private jet that were uh, like evangelists Talking. in the yeah. in the U.S. Where they're like, no, no, no. God said that in order for us to spread our message, we need to fly private because if we don't, then our message isn't as good. So you got to get this, on this. this. That was in the John Oliver thing on, uh, insanity, on uh, bro. evangelists, man. That was a really good episode. Yeah. I think he was talking about like when you just start playing to the Lord like this, people look at you strange. I'm like, hmm, interesting. The whole so, theme of that show was planting seeds. If you plant your seeds, you will sow them out and it will prosper. <laughs> oh, and the Lord wants me to prosper. I mean, you to prosper. I mean, <laughs> hello? Hello? <laughs> Who said oh, anything man. about oil? You cooking? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so that's that for that story, guys. All right. Well, then why don't we... Why don't we stay in that side of the world? We'll go to Asia now. <laughs> My man. <laughs> and uh, what is uh, Degenerate Bauman's country going to have for us here in the Crypto Around the World section? Yes, thank you, Bob. And I'm here reporting from this side of the world and we're <laughs> going over to India. <laughs> we're going to India where... All right, so I found a ton of stories about this, but they all link to a single source. So ultimately, the news, the the, the actual source for this story is One from, piece. from an article from the New Indian Express. Now, how reliable is that? 
I don't know. It's like the 1100th most visited site in India. No, yeah, yeah, in India. So take that for what it is. Use that as a metric. Currently anyway. Googling 1100th most popular <laughs> site in the US. <laughs> so the- It's going to be porn. The story was basically an anonymous source who's supposed to be a high-level government official, but that the committee, the second interdisciplinary committee in India is meeting, talking about cryptocurrency, and that they are thinking about legalizing it. Specifically, this is the quote from the article. Quote, we have already had two meetings. There is a general consensus that cryptocurrency cannot be dismissed, dismissed as completely illegal. It needs to be legalized with strong riders. Deliberations are on, and we will have more clarity soon. So this committee is expected to meet a few more times, and then they're going to deliver a report. That report is expected by February. So if this source is real, which is a big if, and the report concludes what this guy's saying, which is another if, and the governing body listens to the report, then we could be seeing a legalization of cryptocurrencies in 2019 in India. Ooh. So that's exciting. Yeah. Bunch of ifs and coulds and maybes, but that's more Who's or less the barking? story. <laughs> Who do you think? Whose dog do you think is barking? It's definitely not my dog. My dog's. <laughs> Shit. Anything else we wanted to touch on in the Indian government? No, that's I mean, unless you unless you guys have any questions, which I will not be able to answer, but I can <laughs> let you form the question out loud to feel better about yourself. Thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, Facebook is the most visited domain in the U.S. I can't even get access going, to the top five hundred, so I don't know what. Oh, I actually got Ticketmaster.com was the five hundredth one. Okay, so half as reputable as Ticket twenty eight thousand <laughs> in India. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, though, it's there's in more India. Indians though. Are there more Indians online? Yes, I bet. Oh, I, I, I would guarantee know. that. I would guarantee the answer is yes. Happy to, happy to wager this. You know, I think Mike might have Mike might have a point here. I mean, even if only fifty percent of Indians are online, there's still, still more. Guys. Yeah, it doesn't matter, man. Yeah, there's a lot. Of them. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know off the top of my head what the population is, but it's significantly more than ours. Yeah, like forex. Oh, then yeah. So we only need. <laughs> so they need to be twenty five percent connected because I'm pretty sure we're close to like ninety. I don't know. Anyway, so. The mailbag. I mean, sorry, Mike, this is your transition. It's all good. Actually, I wanted to go on a, on a quick rant, and oh, yeah, I thought right. it was very appropriate here. Um, so the article was was about uh, Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris um, have decided that they're taking a stand against Patreon. And they apparently there's been a series of um, – now, this has happened on YouTube in the past year where there's been some censorship where political – Situations are getting involved and people are getting their accounts shut down and banned. And these, um, you know, basically these top podcasters, these top influencers are making a point and saying that they are not interested in supporting Patreon any longer because obviously for the same reasons that, you know, there's middlemen involved, they can influence however politically they want. And, you know, those are things that we don't agree with. Now, for whatever reason, they just kind of forget to mention crypto at any point because these are people that aren't really in touch with it. It's not how they work. They have to know about it. Um, but they actually went out of their way to say they're trying – they were supposed to launch it by Christmas. I didn't see any any notes of it. But they were uh, – Jordan Peterson and a couple of the other really high-level influencers are creating their own version of Patreon that is not able to be censored. And I don't know what that looks like to the non-crypto world. Um, to me, you know, I'm standing with a, a sign outside in the park lot saying, Hey, you pick me. Hey guys, we're here. <laughs> you know? Uh, but I found this particularly interesting because what we need is the, the most important people of the world to start speaking on our behalf. And, and that's going to be a huge impact to this community. That's yet to say, you know, how that's, how this is going to play out. But, you know, I'm certainly going to be a fan of a censorship resistant type of Patreon. I, Mike, I'm a fan of regular Patreon, and it has been awesome that our patrons have been subscribing to us on Patreon. Uh, I will also say that a lot of this stuff is like – like when we covered with Alex Jones, this is a lot of really like far-right um, stuff that is getting censored. <clears throat> so it's all kind of the same, and it's it's walking this thin line between it's wrong to censor it, but it's also like – fucked up content that they're censoring so it's like it, it's interesting but the the fact that it tends to be like the far right alt-right style stuff 
makes it look like it's an attack on a certain political ideal, which is more of a scary Big Brother situation. So if you think that Google or YouTube are liberal and you are not, you are going to see this as an attack on you when they start to censor idiots like Alex Jones. So um, it, it is uh, – it is this weird dichotomy where I I don't agree with any I don't agree with censorship in any way. I also don't agree with you know the alt right shitbirds that are trying to cause problems. So it's weird. But for now, I don't you know Patreon is uh, is honestly the best there is. So it's people will stop using Patreon when there's a better option and. We looked for a better option. There isn't. Well, to to my point though, that they're trying to present a better option, yeah. right? They're they're saying, you know what, this is what it is, and we are going to try to improve it. Yeah. Now, whether this works or not is totally yet to be determined. But I found this interesting and very on topic for us. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I, I agree, and ultimately, like, uh, you know, it's going to be that balance is always going to be there, right? Like debating what. Like Brent said, you know, whether something is hateful content, but a good alternative to Patreon will eventually emerge, something that's more decentralized than Patreon. And it's going to have its appeal, you know. That's what the, I feel like this whole space is about, too, in some ways, is creating ways in which this could even be decentralized in the first place. Because, you know, doing something like Patreon in a decentralized way is probably not easy, especially when you take into account maintenance and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah. And, and Brent, to your point about you know, it usually feels like right wing. I see you also see it a lot in the left wing when they're talking about um, governmental violence abroad or anti-war movements. That's always been also, you know, heavily censored. So both sides mm -hmm. suffer from a lot of political censorship. And usually powerful interests are going to start aligning themselves more and more with the interest of the ruling class. So, yeah. You know, like Google, in some things, if it's advantageous to them to be liberal in one thing and then advantageous to be authoritarian in another thing, they're always just going to do what benefits them. Yeah, so. sure. We'll make Google for China. You guys can censor it. We'll we'll put exactly. in whatever censorship you want and we'll make it available to you. Yeah, because it's a corporation. Their only goal is making money. So yeah. that's what's going to rule it. All right. Let's go to the mailbag section. Yeah. Crip basic. Flagship Friday. You listen to the mailbag drop, where we break down a member's thoughts. Just starting crypto, don't you stop? Keep listening till you hit the spot. Woo! Um, this one I thought was a it was a really cleverly asked question from uh, Mitchell. That was the new member that showed up last night, right? Yeah. If I, we were talking to yeah, no, uh, interesting way he found us. This is so we we both happened to be up at like one in the morning talking in in the Discord. And Mitchell found us by Googling open source Discord podcast <laughs> and then landed on us. So one our We were the sixth result though, so we could work on yeah, that. Yeah, one, our SEO sucks for what we're looking for, but if you're looking for an open source Patreon podcast, apparently we are right up there with one of the choices. So if you guys want to pivot into getting rid of our one oh ones and starting to have um software uh, workshops, I'm game. How about no? <laughs> so uh, the question was, how soon do you think you'll get beaten by a poker bot in live play? And how do you think it'll happen? Mm, well, I, I can tell you. It was addressed to me. But do either of you want to tackle this? First? I've already been beaten by a poker bot in live play. Like there, there is a slot machine that is in a lot of different casinos that is a poker bot that plays you. There's no rake. And you can even look at the hands of the poker bot at the end of every hand to see how it's playing. And it is impossible to beat. Now, I played it uh, because I was trying to generate some points for my card at the time. And it was profitable because of that. But it is a heads up limit hold them. Uh, bot that plays you and it beats you like it is i used to play a lot of shorthanded and heads up limit hold'em when uh back in like 12 years ago uh online on one of the scam poker sites i didn't know it was scam at the time but they absolute yeah poker. absolute poker yeah i was a prop on absolute poker so i considered my heads up limit hold'em game pretty good and i would never have continued to play somebody if they played like this bot played so uh, the answer is i think poker bots already beat people and that was a good like eight years ago that maybe six seven eight years ago that that thing came out so that is 
then beating people for a while. And obviously, No Limit Hold'em is significantly harder than Limit Hold'em. There's a lot less um, like choices to be made in Limit Hold'em than there is in No Limit Hold'em. But the uh, I would not be surprised if there's a heads-up No Limit Hold'em bot that could win. Now, I don't know. I'm not up on all the bots, but there's... There's a contest every year that's the World Series of Poker Bots, and they get better every year. I mean, yeah, so it depends on what you mean by live play, for sure, because if live play includes getting on the computer, playing online poker, and maybe possibly going up against someone's program bot, that has for sure happened. There are bots in multiple sites that play profitably, and there's even bots that are designed to change styles after certain time intervals. Um, but they're still not as good as the best human players. So the question is, you know, when will a bot beat you live? Well, when would you be able to play a live bot, right? Yeah. So that's kind of like, it's it's a unique scenario. Like you would be going there to play a bot, unless we're talking about like an Android, right? But my guess is we're not going to be able to program a bot that, that beats poker. That's not going to be the best way to do it. Uh, however, something like AlphaGo and what, you know, like yeah. just, or something like Poker Snowy, which is literally just bots that are using neural networks by playing a bunch of hands against each other. And it plays millions and millions of hands at a time. And instead of having a strategic tree put into it, it just makes random moves. It literally plays hands by playing random moves. And then it sees what works and what doesn't, but it does it over billions and billions and billions of iterations. And yeah, I think deep learning uh, is probably already better than most advanced yeah. level humans. Um, it just wouldn't be as good at the only problem is this is where the true complexity of poker comes in. The best bots could play a super fundamental game that would be almost impossible to crack for a good for a good pro because they're gonna play it so close to game theory optimization. However, that bot wouldn't be as good as a great pro at making adjustments towards all the different player strategies. That hasn't been developed yet. A, a bot that's paying attention to all the players and seeing... Understanding uh, the species of the game, being able to interpret all the different rational actors' decision-making and can, can finding the happy medium between all the species per hand is, is a very, very complex right, right. proposition. And, and specifically making game... like theoretical mistakes that are actually designed to exploit one of your opponent's big weaknesses that is something that i have no doubt bots will be able to make but i haven't seen anything that it, level of it it's a significant like intelligence difference to to be able to to take current information and change your current strategy based on new information and applying it to previous streets and just being able to say like okay this new piece of information i have Comparing it to all the old data, where does that now leave the information elimination process? And that's the part that bots are going to struggle with. Only for a little bit. So Kareem mentioned AlphaGo, which the coolest thing about how that how that uh, deep learning thing worked is they taught it the game, but they didn't teach it any strategy. None. It created its own strategy in how to play Go by playing against itself. And that's what humans did. Like we figured out the strategy in poker by playing it against each other or running simulations of ourselves. So we're figuring it out. The computers are doing it faster and they're doing it without any emotional attachment to the results. They're not saying like, Oh, well I've had bad results for these times. So I'm doing it wrong. I need to adjust. They're just like, nah, this is right because we've done. Yeah. They don't care that they've lost with like ace King three times in a row yeah. and they don't consider making strategy changes because they've lost with ace King recently. Like that's, that's not how computers. I don't work. think we're that far off from a computer seeing what we were talking about, how Central and South Americans play crazy. Uh, I'm We're not that far off from a computer seeing a Central South American sit down at a table and adjusting based on what they know historically about somebody that looks like that. And I... I disagree. I think we're, I think we're, I mean, it depends obviously what we mean by how far we are and, and this is going to be hard to do. And look, another thing that matters is there's a difference, even though people don't necessarily like to make this distinction, there's a difference between a program that I can fire up on my computer and that can play poker. Like let's say on a site, there's a difference between that 
and a computer that is being handled by MIT that has special infrastructure, that they're using one of the most powerful computers that they have that's hooked up to a bunch of shit and with a bunch of assistance is making like one decision per whatever, right? So will any computer in the world that's like the most advanced and the most programmed, I, I don't know, it's tough to say, but honestly, like that layer of the game, just playing perfectly is hard enough, even if you assume everybody has the same knowledge, but like then identifying each individual player's uh, where they deviate from optimal strategy and and then deviating your own strategy to accept that, like that requires context, which I don't know if the neural network has yet. Like that seems like another layer. All right. Well, tune into our Poker Basic podcast coming soon. <laughs> All right, Brent, why don't we uh, recap the Patreon? Yeah, let's do some Patreon. Give some kudos. Patreon, again, please. We, uh, we, we didn't mention this at the beginning of the episode, but... Patreon is basically how we've decided to stay alive, and we're, uh, we're we're hoping that you can get on there, jump on, and give us a pledge of a dollar an episode. A buck an episode would, you know, if, if we get some listeners involved in that, that would really, really help keep this thing afloat. Uh, we're, we're, we're almost halfway to breaking even on episodes, which would be amazing, and we want to thank some of our Patreon Inner Circle members. We've got some new members that just joined up. We got uh, Peter Ultimate Node Stewart, and we got Sam McCollum, who both signed up this week. And also, because it's the last flagship of the month, we are going to give a re-shout-out to all of our Masternode and Securenode members. So we got uh, Marcel Bitcoin Mexico Bozio, we've got Robert Laverty, we got The Bigger Boat, and we got Simon Rage Against the Machine, or I'm sorry, Rage Against the Screen, Gordon, and they're our masternodes. So they are like the top tier. They're taking care of business. They're giving us $5 per episode. It's awesome. And down in our secure node layer, we've got the Z-Man and we've got Steven, Steve Staples, Stapleton. So the uh <laughs> quite the nickname Steve has. Yeah, yeah. No, there's been a few. So um so <laughs> so Steve Steve Stapleton is, is Steve Staples. Uh Peter Stewart goes by Peace Stew, and it's kind of funny to see like where people came up with their names. Uh we got uh uh, uh I think it was Michael Cohun was the big Kahuna. I was like, ah I you know, I've never th- And then there's Bitcoin Mexico. Well, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> Anyway, hey guys, guess how I got Crypto Basic Kareem? How? Uh, uh, that was the name that he chose when he pledged his allegiance to a lot. <laughs> to a lot of podcasts. All right. I think that's going to get near the end for us. It's just a reminder that uh, most of the activity on this show happens in our Discord server. If you want to join that, you can participate in the conversation. Uh, we try to be as active as we can. Uh, we try to facilitate the show through there. We we look for flagship suggestions, mailbag questions. You know, feel free to get in there and join the conversation. Also, we ask if you give us an honest rating on iTunes, whether that's good or bad, is what it is. We appreciate it. And uh, if you could subscribe to the show wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, those are the important things for us. And and we want you guys to participate so we can make this a better show. And Kareem, what are we not? We are not financial advisors. The members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are just friends, shit talkers, financial boogity boogity, not advice. So tell your lawyer we're not interested. <laughs> Available at all wall box. Unless he's good at poker. Or not good. Yeah, no lawyers are good at poker. Unless he's Calm not down. good. All right, that's going to do it for the Crypto Basic Podcast. Friday flagship 52. My name is Mike. I was here with Brent and Kareem. Thanks again for tuning in.